Canada and hockey fans in the United States and Newfoundland. It's behind the Maple Leaf net, Detroit crowding them. Back to Paul at the blue line, he fakes a shot, rolls one in front, and Kennedy intercepted and shoots it away. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash Canada EHX. First, on every single tier, you get completely ad-free episodes. And you get a say in what topics I cover on my podcasts. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. Or you can go to buymeacupofcoffee slash Craig U. All of these links are also in my show notes. And for people who donate, I have various levels of benefits. For $5, you get a thank you at the start of the next episode of Canadian History X, Canada's Great War, and from John to Justin, and on social media. For $10, you get everything from the $5, plus this episode is sponsored by, with your name at the start. Also, I'll state it's sponsored by you on social media. For $20, everything from the $5 and $10, plus a second episode sponsored by you, and promotion of something you're working on. And for $50, everything from the $5, $10, and $20 plus, you get to choose a topic for me to cover on Canadian History X. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram and TikTok where I put up daily videos about Canada's history. Just go to my username, Bairdo37. And you can find weekly videos on Canada's history on my YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com slash c slash Canadian History X. If you want to find transcripts of every episode I've ever done, you can go to my website, CanadaEHX.com. And there's over 700 posts on Canada's history there. I would like to say welcome to four new patrons this week. Christy S., Elizabeth B., Tom L., and Robert D. Thank you for becoming patrons. I truly appreciate it. I also want to say thank you to Jonathan D., who left me a wonderful donation. I would like to mention that all Patreon support and all donations this month will be going to the SBCA. I'm going to be doing this in honor of my best pal, Boris, who sadly passed away last week. And I wanted to do something to honor him, and I thought this would be a good choice. He is considered to be one of the first major stars of the NHL and the first icon of the Montreal Canadiens. One of the greatest players to ever lace up the skates and the most dynamic player between the world wars, his career was cut short, but its impact lasts to this day. Born in Mitchell, Ontario on December 21, 1902 to William and Rosina Morenz, he grew up in a large family of three sisters and two brothers. As a child, he began to play hockey on the Thames River, using a homemade hockey stick and chunks of coal for pucks. By eight, he was playing in his first organized hockey game, and playing as a goaltender, he let in 21 goals and was soon switched to the position of rover. He would still play goal, and in one game, when the score was 3-3, he stopped a shot, saw an opening, and took the puck down the ice while wearing his goalie batting to score the winning goal. By the time he began his junior career, he was playing as a forward to take advantage of his incredible speed on the ice. With that move, he took his team to the Western Ontario Junior Championship. In May 1917, the family moved to Stratford and Morenz tried to enlist in the Canadian military, but was turned away when it was found out he was only 15 years old. 
The ruse was found out when his mother followed him to the recruitment station and told the officers his actual age. When he was 18, he worked as an apprentice for the Canadian National Railways factory in Stratford and spent his time betting on horse races, playing the ukulele, and of course, playing hockey. He was known to spend a lot of time at the racetrack, including losing $1,500 before his wedding and then borrowing on his next year's contract to pay for his honeymoon. In 1920, Morenz joined the Stratford Midget Junior Team and led the Ontario Hockey Association in assists and points in his first season. He helped the team win the league title, and then the team went on to play for the 1921 Memorial Cup. Despite Morenz earning a hat-trick in the second game of the series, the team lost the total goal series 11-9 against the Winnipeg Falcons. Falcons defenseman Harry Roth would say, quote, it was Morenz, Morenz, Morenz as the fastest junior I ever saw score goal after goal. Howie had speed to burn. He would come right up to you, and when you tried to check him, he wasn't there. End quote. Around this time, he was gaining the name of the Stratford Streak. His performance in the series earned him an invite to play for the Stratford Indians, and he joined the team and kept playing for the junior team as well, leading both leagues in goals, assists, and points. In 1922-23, he would play only for the Senior League, leading the league in assists, playoff goals, and points. And despite his obvious skill, Morenz did not think he was good enough to make the NHL. He would tell his mother, quote, You don't have to worry about me becoming a professional. Those fellows are far too good. End quote. That same year, he played in a CNR hockey tournament in Montreal where he scored nine goals. This would be seen by a friend of Leo Dondurant, the owner of the Montreal Canadiens, who told his friend about this new phenom. Donderon would see Morenz play the next month and immediately wanted to sign him with the Canadians. Donderon would meet with Morenz and his family, who said they wanted Morenz to finish his apprenticeship with CNR for another two years. Morenz's father was said to have said, quote, It would be regrettable if he abandoned his trade. End quote. Of course, Donderon soon found out that the Morenz family was in talks with the Toronto St. Patrick's, now known as the Maple Leafs, about joining the team. To prevent that from happening, Donneron sent his friend Cecil Hart to Stratford and told him to sign Morenz at any price. On July 7, 1923, Morenz signed a contract with the Canadians for three years worth $3,500 per year with a $1,000 signing bonus. With the contract signed on the seventh day of the seventh month, Morenz chose to wear seven for the Canadians. Soon after, Morenz began to have second thoughts about leaving Stratford and he would send back his signing bonus in a letter explaining that he couldn't play for the team. Dondurant had Morenz meet him in person and falsely threatened him, stating that if he didn't sign, his professional hockey career would be over. Morenz, not realizing that Dondurant didn't have that power, reported to training camp. On December 3, 1923, Morenz arrived at his first training camp and immediately impressed his teammates. On December 26, 1923, he made his NHL debut, scoring a goal against the Ottawa Senators. Elmer Ferguson would say, quote, He's the best-looking youngster who has ever broken into the NHL. If he isn't a star of the first magnitude by season's end, it will be because he has lost a leg. End quote. By the end of the 1923-24 season, Morenz had 13 goals with 3 assists in 24 games. He also helped the team finish first for the first time in 5 years. Playing for the NHL Championship, Morenz helped the team win against the Ottawa Senators and advanced to play for the Stanley Cup against the Vancouver Maroons and the Calgary Tigers. They defeated the Maroons, and in the first game against Calgary, Morenz scored three goals. Montreal won the first game 6-1 and the second game 3-0, with Morenz scoring four goals total. 
Morenz, in his first season, had won the Stanley Cup. The next season, Morenz scored 28 goals and 11 assists, which was the fourth best in the league. He once again helped the Canadians make it to the Stanley Cup final, but they would lose this time. In 1926, Morenz married Mary McKay, and together they had three children together. His daughter Marlene would marry Bernie Giffron, who had his own legendary career with the Montreal Canadiens. His grandson Dan would play for the Canadiens in 1979-80, and his great-grandson Blake would play for the Nashville Predators in 2011, and then for the Canadiens in 2012. The season after his marriage, 1927-28, would be the best Morenz ever had. He would become the first player to reach 50 points in a season, finishing with 51. He led the league in goals, assists, and points, and won the Hart Trophy. McLean's would write years later, quote, Morenz was far more than a Canadian hero. To youngsters all over Canada, he was to hockey what Babe Ruth was to baseball and Jack Dempsey to boxing, a fairy tale figure who could do things no one else could do and against greater odds. End quote. Morenz was known for his amazing speed. In one game against Ottawa, Alex Smith got a breakaway to the Canadiens' net and apparently had 50 feet of space on Morenz, but Morenz caught him, batted the puck into the corner, and picked it up, flipping it to a teammate who scored. Charlie Conacher of the Maple Leafs said that Morenz once told him, quote, Give me one good defenseman and any good goalkeeper in the league and I'll beat any team for 20 minutes. End quote. Conacher would add himself, stating, quote, There were nights when I figured he was right. End quote. During the height of his prowess, the New York Rangers offered $60,000 for him, while the Montreal Maroons offered $75,000. Donderon would simply say of his star player, quote, Morenz is beyond price. End quote. Roy Warders with the New York Americans would say in 1953, quote, He could shoot harder than anybody I see nowadays. When he'd wind up behind the net, he wasn't number 7. He was number 777. Just a blur. End quote. In 1929-30, he scored 40 goals in the season, including 5 goals in a game against the New York Americans on March 18, 1930. He then led the Canadians to the Stanley Cup, including scoring the cup-winning goal. In 1930-31, Morenz once again scored 50 points and won his second NHL scoring title and his second Hart Trophy. In the playoffs, he took the Canadians to the Stanley Cup final against the Chicago Blackhawks. Playing with an injured shoulder, he only had one goal in 10 playoff games, but his one goal was the last one of the playoffs, helping the Canadians win another Stanley Cup, Morenz's third. One can associate the residential school system with tuberculosis and tuberculosis with the residential school system. We had indigenous parents, communities, students, church employees, teachers, and individuals who are part of Indian Affairs, like Dr. Peter Henderson Bryce, giving their critiques in their own time. People hid when the tuberculosis screening came to their communities because they knew that the result of getting screened was that they, they could be taken away. I believe a lot of people were used, government officials who just thought they were doing the right thing. They were doing what they were told. First Nations, Métis and Inuit peoples are already told our story. It's now time to tell the other side of the story. We need to take a serious look at the parts of the system from the past that we may be replicating today. I'm Maya Foster Sanchez, and this is the story of a national crime. Coming this fall, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
In 1931-32, Morenz had 49 points, finishing third in league scoring, and he became the first NHL player to win the Hart Trophy for a third time. That season, on March 17, 1932, he also scored his 334th point, passing Cy Denny for the most career point by an NHL player. By 1933-34, the point and goal totals for Morenz began to decline. He would only score 8 goals and 21 points. Still, on December 23, 1933, he scored his 249th career goal, becoming the NHL leader for career goals, passing Cy Denny for the honor. On January 2, 1934, Morenz twisted his ankle in a game, tearing a ligament and forcing him to miss a month. When he returned to the ice, he could not play at his current level, and he was booed by the fans. Dondurant would see Morenz after the game, apparently sobbing. Matters were not helped by the fact that New Zealand alone was now coaching the Canadians and he did not get along with Morenz. With his production slipping, the Canadians began to shop Morenz around, and after the playoffs were over, Morenz would say that if he was traded, he would never play again. He would say, quote, When I can't play for them, I'll never put on a skate again. End quote. On October 3, 1934, Morenz was traded to the Chicago Blackhawks. In his first season with the Blackhawks, he played 48 games and finished with a respectable 34 points. That would be his only productive season with the team. In the next season, he was benched several times and only played 23 games, finishing with 15 points. On January 26, 1936, he was traded to the New York Rangers. With the Rangers, Morenz had 6 points in 19 games. After the season was over, the Canadians brought back Cecil Hart to coach the team, and he said he would take the job only if Morenz was brought back to the Canadians. This was agreed to, and Morenz was with the Canadians for the 1936-37 season, and doing quite well with 20 points by the midpoint of the season. Unfortunately, on January 28, 1937, in the game against the Blackhawks, Morenz went into the corner to get a puck and lost his balance and fell to the ice. He crashed into the boards, and his left skate caught on the wood siding. The Blackhawks defenseman could not stop, and he slammed into Morenz. It was said you could hear the snapping of Morenz's leg throughout the stadium. The Montreal Gazette would write, quote, Daredevil Howie Morenz, who for 13 years of his meteoric career gambled with fate, seemingly by a spectacular leaps through opposing defenses, and never suffered serious injury, broke his leg last night against the forum boards in the simplest kind of accident. The fibula just above the ankle snapped like a reed as he crashed into the fence, end quote. Morenz was taken to the hospital where it was found he had broken his leg in four places. Morenz would never play another game again. While recovering, he received many gifts and get-well cards from fans and players around the NHL. As for the Canadians, they soon began to fall in the standings. Morenz was receiving many visitors, but he began to worry that he would never play hockey again and he became depressed. By late February, it was determined he was suffering a nervous breakdown. On March 8th, Morenz complained about chest pains. At 11.30pm that night, he attempted to get out of bed to go to the bathroom, but collapsed on the floor, suffering a coronary embolism from blood clots in his broken leg. Within minutes, he was dead. The news of his death left the hockey world stunned. Lester Patrick, his old friend, stated, quote, He was one of the all-time greats of the game, and it was only for the good of the game that the Rangers let him return to the Canadians he loved so much. End quote. Con Smythe of the Maple Leafs would say, quote, I can't believe it. It is an upsetting thing. It is certainly hard for an athlete of Howie's type to go so quickly. End quote. His close friend, Cecil Hart, who was left devastated in not being near the bedside of Morenz when he died, stated, quote, I can't talk about it. It is terrible. A thunderbolt. End quote. 
On March 9th, the Montreal Canadiens game was cancelled in honour of Morenz, but Mary Morenz insisted the game be played, as that was what her husband would have wanted. In the game, the Canadians and Montreal Maroons players wore black armbands, and a two-minute silence was observed at the start of the game. On March 11th, a funeral was held in the Montreal Forum for Morenz, and he was situated in his casket at Centre Ice. A total of 50,000 people, although some say 200,000, filed by to pay their respects. At his funeral, 15,000 people attended. Howie Morenz never returned to the Montreal Canadiens. Forty days after the game against Chicago, he got out of his hospital bed, tried to walk, collapsed, and died. He was only 34. The city of Montreal was in shock. Howie Morenz's body was taken to the Forum so his fans could say goodbye. 15,000 people. It was very, very quiet, nevertheless, in the forum, eh? Well, Morenz played his best hockey and uh, trailed the uh, thousands of people over the years. For months, Montreal mourned the death of Morenz, and on November 2nd, 1937, his number 7 was retired forever by the Canadians, their first number ever retired. A benefit All-Star game was held to benefit the Morenz family. His sweater was auctioned off for $500 and was bought by Joseph Katernerich, who then gave it to Howard Raymond, the son of Morenz. In all, the event raised $20,000 for the family, about $400,000 today. Over the course of his NHL career, Morenz had 472 points, 271 goals, and 201 assists in 550 games. McLean's wrote in 1953, quote, As long as hockey lasts, they'll be telling the legends about Howie Morenz, how he lived only for the game, for the fans of the forum, how he died in tragedy and misery when the team he loved sold him down the river after a bad season, end quote. Many would claim that Morenz did not die of a blood clot, but a broken heart. In 1945, he was one of the first nine players inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. In 1950, he was named the best hockey player of the first half of the 20th century by the Canadian press. In 1998, he was ranked number 15 on the list of the 100 greatest hockey players in history, and in 2017, he was named one of the 100 greatest NHL players ever by the NHL. In 1998, McLean's ranked Howie Morenz the ninth greatest hero in Canadian history, below Terry Fox and Roberta Bondar, and above Anne of Green Gables. Morenz would have a big impact on hockey outside of Montreal. After a stellar play in the 1924 Stanley Cup Final, Charles Adams, who owned a chain of grocery stores, went back to Boston wanting to establish his own team. That team would become the Boston Bruins. Tex Rickard, the owner of Madison Square Garden, also saw Morenz play and agreed to add ice to his building for an NHL team that would become the New York Americans. I will end this episode with what Ralph Allen of McLean's wrote of him, stating that Morenz was, quote, a superhuman figure to the mill workers and tram drivers and off-duty cabbies who jammed the rush end of the forum and called themselves, with magnificent irony, the millionaires. They toasted Morenz in bathtub gin, and when he scored, they shouted their soaring battle cry, Les Canadiens sont là, end quote. I hope you enjoyed that episode of my look at Howie Morenz. If you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37.
As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. And you can donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. And I also want to thank all of my wonderful patrons. And I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Martin Strache, Sarah White, Tom McMillan, Mike Sullivan, Wendy Mills, Keelan Pringnitz, Michael Matthews, Joanna Parker, Jeff Dahl, Vobbs, Robert Page, Richard T., Colin Johnson, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nixon Ree, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rois, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Information from McLean's Canadian Encyclopedia, NHL.com, Hockey Hall of Fame, Wikipedia, The Hockey Writers Biography, Ottawa Citizen, and The Montreal Gazette. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.